Friday. It's a public place. It's not creepy. Just come by, say hello, and get a free cup of coffee. Even if you just get coffee and leave, that's okay. We just want to bless you with a cup of coffee. Um, other than that, again, if you're new, you're still kind of checking out Dahlonega and figuring out churches, uh, our desire is for the local church. We believe in the local church. So if it's not us, if you sit through this gathering and go, man, this just church doesn't feel for me, uh, please come talk to us at the Next Steps table after, and we have a couple recommendations of good, solid local churches that we want you to be a part of. Because uh, more than anything else, we just want you to be plugged into a local church, the family of God here in Dahlonega. So, it's not us, we understand, it's not you, it's me, we can have that whole awkward conversation, or you can just go to the next X table and, and we can get you plugged into some churches. Sound good? All right, so the other housekeeping thing I want to take care of, which is exciting, we have 10 new members to announce this morning, which is awesome. Yeah, very great. Uh, so I want to announce them, they're just going to stand up and you can say hey to them, but before I do that, uh, we also have a new pastoral resident. So he's gone through the pipeline. This year he's the pastoral resident. And basically here's what this means, twofold. One, uh, this guy is trying to figure out what he's going to do as far as his calling to ministry. And two, it means that you can boss him around and ask anything you want out of him, right? He needs to learn the ropes of pastoral ministry. Uh, so Jared Ray, why don't you stand up? If you need anything, I didn't tell you to sit down. If you need anything, go to that guy. Don't bother me, not Dylan, not any of the elders. Go bother him. He needs to grow in some pastoralness. Sound good? No, but we're super excited about him and what he's going to do in ministry this year as he grows in that. So, new members, you ready? Now, not all of them are able, were able to attend, uh, which doesn't look good on membership, but we'll see what happens. Uh, so, just stand up, and then I want to welcome them. Brandon Torgney, Caleb Noggle, Thomas Odom, Noah Blackwell, Todd and Hannah Patterson, Jared and Abby Patterson, Grace Davis, and Mallory Odom. I could have combined Mallory and Thomas. Welcome. Now, you guys are the actual members. Everyone else is already on church discipline because they're not here, all right? So, uh, welcome to membership. All right, we good? Any other housekeeping to take care of? If you were here last week, the power went out right in the middle, like really right now. So let's just have a secret time of prayer that that wouldn't happen because that was awful. Maybe not for you. For me, that was awful. So 1 Corinthians 15, we're in the last week of the Apostles' Creed series. So over the last 12 weeks, uh, what we've done is we've taken the Apostles' Creed, which is the earliest written and recorded creed for us, and we've just been teaching through it line by line uh, for two primary reasons, which has been the primary reasons of the creed and other creeds for all of church history. First and foremost, to correct error. So when we study the creed, it's an easy way for us to correct error and have conversations where we have erred. And secondly, it's a spiritual, a tool for spiritual formation within the people of God. So it's supposed to correct error, and simultaneously creeds will form a spiritual discipline, spiritual maturity within the believer. So we've taken the last 12 weeks to slow down and teach line by line through the creed. But, and we've said this every single week, and this is the last week, so I'm going to say it one more time. We are not preaching the creed as authoritative, right? So we're not saying that the creed holds any authority. What we're doing is what the original authors intended uh, for any other creed that was written to use the creed to get back to the Bible. And it's a cheesy illustration, but it works the best. Just imagine the creed is like the moon, right? The moon does not produce anything by itself. It just simply reflects the sun. And this is what we're trying to say. The creed has no authority. It has nothing apart from what the Scripture 
already says. So uh, for the last 11 weeks and now for this week, uh, we're going to take a moment, we're going to read the creed together as a church, and then we're going to pick one line to single out and to teach through. And so as you've imagined, if this is the last week, the last line we're going to cover is the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. And we'll see that out of 1 Corinthians 15. Okay, deal? We good? So I'm going to step off the stage. The creed's going to be on the screen, and we're going to read it together for the last time. Has this been a fun series? Have you all enjoyed this series? Okay, because next, next week we go back to Hebrews 12, because uh, typically here we're expository preachers, so we book a book of the Bible and just go through it. This is more of a summer series, uh, but next week we'll go back to Hebrews. So, the Apostles' Creed. We good? Here we go. I believe in God. first time kind of reading through the creed, there's two things that we want to draw your attention to, and I would just recommend go back and listen to the podcast. Uh, Holy Catholic Church, lowercase c, we're not Catholics here. That's the universal church, the big C church, so uh, Catholic equals universal. And then also he descended into hell. Uh, what, the, uh, what the creed writers are trying to say is that he ascended to the place of the dead. So not only did Jesus die, but he died, died, right? Like he actually went to where dead people go, uh, but there's a whole the- theology around that idea. So did he go into the literal, what we understand, Gehenna hell? No, he just went to the holding place of the dead. But you can go back and listen to all those podcasts, because this morning we're covering the resurrection of the body and a life everlasting, amen. And so this, this month, I don't know if you guys have known this, and if you don't know me, there's no way for you to know this, uh, but this is August. So this time last year, literally, because we have our, all of our photos stored in the cloud storage, so every morning it pops up like, look at your pictures from a year ago. Now, well, a year ago today, we were at a rehab facility with my wife, getting ready to bring her home. So she had been in the hospital for 10 days, and she was in a rehab facility for 21 days. Uh, I mean, long story short, addiction just got her, so she had to go in to rehab. Just kidding. The new people are like, oh my gosh, pastor's wife was addicted to crank? No. What happened was, uh, crank, that's old school drugs, right? I don't, I don't know my drug lingo. But uh, what ha- she broke her back. She had an incomplete spinal cord injury. So basically for, for 21 days in this facility, she had to relearn how to walk. And so when she checked in there, she was in a wheelchair, and there's no real guarantees, no real promise that she was ever going to walk again. Actually, what they told us was that she probably could walk, but 90% of the time was going to be with a walker, and if we were ever going to be out in public for long periods of time, we need to bring the wheelchair so that she could, uh, her legs would just get too tired. Um, She walked perfectly, which is just a miracle from God. But while she was there, that was the first time I'd been without my wife for 31 days, really that long of a period. And it was me and the four kids, and my parents helped a lot, and I was able to go down and see her for about six days in the middle of that. But because of COVID and all that took place, we just were apart. And, and I noticed myself throughout this month 
just longing to be with her, just, just yearning for things to be back together. I don't care if you walk again, just, just come home. And it was, always, it was always the little things that brought that yearning back, right? Like, I mean, I'm not trying to get like all sappy and romantic, but I, I hate cuddling. That's not the sappy romantic part. But every night we just have this, when I get in bed, I just reach my foot over and just touch her toes, right? Like that's the extent of the cuddling within the Dodd household. But for a month straight, I got into a bed and my foot would go over and touch just a cold bed. And it was in those moments I would just yearn, or, or I would climb into bed and I would look out my door and every light in the house was on, because that's what my wife does. Before we go to bed, she goes through and turns every light off and locks the doors. And that, those little moments would just make me yearn for her to be back. Or, or when I would just lose it on my kids, I would just yearn for her to be there and stop me from losing my mind on my kids because that's what she would do. Like toddlers, any like newborn parents, you're supposed to redirect when your kids get into something. Well, I learned that my wife redirects me often. Right before I lose it, she goes, oh, look at this cool truck. I'm like, yeah, look at that truck. And then she takes care of the kids. There's just a constant yearning for my wife to be back. And what we'll see this morning is this yearning should be for us in our glorification that we should yearn for the resurrection of the body, that we should yearn for life everlasting. And there should be moments throughout our days where we know this isn't right. Like this isn't how it's supposed to be. And we start yearning, we start longing for the days ahead. Al Mohler puts it this way. Therefore, to be a Christian is to yearn. To be a follower of Christ means yearning for that day, the redemption of the body. So to be a Christian is to yearn. And we're going to see throughout 1 Corinthians 15, Paul has this argument uh, for the people of the church in Corinth that we should be yearning, that we should not focus so much on this earthly body, on this earthly presence, but we should be yearning for things to come. And so what the creed is getting at is this theological idea of glorification, right? Glorification. So let me read a quick definition of glorification by Wayne Grudem. And when I say quick, I mean not too quick. But here we go. Glorification is the final step in the application of redemption. It will happen when Christ returns and raises from the dead the bodies of all believers for all time who have died and reunites them with their souls and changes the bodies of all believers who remain alive, thereby giving all believers the same time perfect resurrected bodies like his own. Right? Are we tracking? Do I need to read that one more time? I'll just paraphrase. So when we die, if we die before Christ comes back, our souls go to be with him, but our bodies go into the ground. Glorification, what he's talking about is when Christ returns, our bodies will be brought from the dead, will be reunited with the soul, and live in perfect harmony and presence with God forever. That, that's what's coming. So don't, don't think of this far side cartoon, we're going to be angels with wings. No, we're going to be glorified. We're going to have glorified bodies in eternity forever. And so Paul is going through in the church of Corinth, reminding them and rebuking them of what this looks like and what this matters and means for us today. So 1 Corinthians 15, uh, over this next 20 minutes, I'm going to do the entirety of the chapter, but I know y'all are all looking at how many verses that is. We're going to skip around a little bit. So I'm going to pick up the main themes of Paul's argument and we'll skip down. Sound good? So let's pick it up in verse 1. We're going to read 1 Corinthians 15. 1 through 8. 
Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised, and on the third day in in accordance with the Scriptures." And that he appeared to Caiaphas and the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to the apostles, last of all, as the untimely born, he also appeared to me. Now, there's two main ideas that we're seeing from this pretty Pauline thought. So if you go to any of the letters that Paul has written, he's always going to start, and the themes of the letters are always going to look the exact same. He's going to start off with the beauty of Christ in the gospel, and then he's going to go into you fools, right? So here's who Jesus is. Let's worship him. Let's praise him. In light of how great Jesus is, what are you doing? I just love Paul's aggressiveness in the way that he writes. And this is the same way that he starts off, even though this is chapter 15, that we know that he's about to go, you fools, right? Because of how the way Paul writes. But the first thing he does is lays a perfect foundation for what the gospel is. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was dead, that he was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So this is the beauty of the gospel, because what Christ accomplished on the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection, now we can be made whole, now we can be made free. But the second theme that comes out all throughout verses 1 through 8 is this phrase to hold fast, to endure, to persevere. So here's what the gospel does, now here's what we're called to do, to hold fast, to persevere, to endure. So a lot of us kind of fall into this idea of, oh, follow Jesus and everything will become better, right? If you say this prayer, if you repeat after me, uh, everything's going to be great. You're never going to sin. You're never going to struggle. Everything's going to be fine. If that's true, then Paul, why would Paul labor so much to say, persevere, to endure, to hold fast? Now, he's not saying that if you don't hold fast, you're going to lose your salvation. We've preached that over and over and over again and through the book of Hebrews. But what he is saying is that is an evidence that you are actually a true believer. He gives this framework for false converts, people that fall away from the faith were never actually believers to begin with. And so he sees as we go into this chapter about glorification, about eternity with him, that he lays the foundation that glorification is rooted in, is founded in the beauty of the gospel. Now, I mentioned just a few minutes ago that my wife was in a boating accident. She had a spinal cord injury. She had to relearn how to walk. It was about a month ago I came home. And we, I don't know if you know this about me, but just all cards on the table, we make a bunch of money, right? I mean, that's what we do. It's why we meet in the gym, because we're loaded. So within our house, we have vaulted ceilings. We don't have those nine-foot peasant ceilings. We've got the big old vaulted ceilings just in our den, nowhere else, because that's all we could afford was just right there. So came up, I'm just kidding. We don't make it much. Calm down. Um, walk into the house, the fan, all the light bulbs are new. Now, the fan is about 12 feet off the ground. I've got a 10-year-old, 7-year-old, 5-year-old, and 4-year-old, and a wife with a spinal cord injury. So obviously, I go to my kids. Hey, kids, did mommy invite a friend over to change the light bulbs? Who has been in our house? I don't know, Dad. I don't know what happened. So the, the best thing about my wife is she cannot tell a lie. So, Bree, did you change the lights in our fan? I, no. 
absolutely not. I didn't do that, smiling the whole time. So I'll cut you the back and forth. Here's what happened. We have a flimsy particle board coffee table, right? And then we have flimsy Amazon-ordered metal stools. So my wife, who was in the hospital for a month, 11 months ago, gets the flimsy stool, puts it on top of the particle board coffee table, stands up on the very top to change the light bulbs. Now you can imagine the rage that I felt right, after having to raise my kids for a month by myself, you take the liberty to get up there and change these light bulbs. I will be home in three hours, boo, and I have a ladder. It's crazy what happens when you open up the ladder and you just, anyways, here's what Paul is saying. That foundation that my wife had was trash, was awful. At any moment, that foundation could have fallen over and guess where she's at? Right back in the hospital. Guess where I'm at? Right back in depression. Thanks for caring for me, honey, right? So the foundation matters. It it matters. And what Paul is saying is nothing else matters. If we don't get the foundation of the gospel, that Christ was crucified, dead, buried for our sins, then we cannot continue on here. So so if I could sum it up, here's what Paul is trying to say. And here's what we're going to cover. The rest of this sermon, uh, God is going to reveal to us as believers, we will be glorified. We will be in eternity with him forever. But... If the foundation is not there, that is not your promise. And you'll hear me say this a few times. There's, there's two options here, glorification, damnation. There's no middle ground. Either you will be, have a glorified body in a glorified state, or you will be damned to hell. And it all comes down to the foundations that you're building your life upon. Is it the world that you live in, or is it the gospel? Because if it's not the gospel, that there's damnation awaiting So Paul's going, before we go anywhere else, we have to understand the truth of the gospel. Now, jump down with me to verse 35 as he's teasing out this argument of glorification and what this looks like for us. Verse 35, I told you I'd be skipping some. But some will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? You foolish person. I told you Paul was going to throw it out there. You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps, of wheat or some other grain. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam, which is Christ, became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As the first man dust, so also we are of the dust. And as the man of heaven, also we are from heaven. Now, I just want to highlight real quick, again, there's, there's two categories, and it all comes under the, aim, the framework of Adam Christ, right? So, so you've heard this before, Adam is the second Christ, or Christ is the second Adam, the better Adam, where Adam failed, Christ reigned. So, so we have two categories here, and let me just read the descriptive words that Paul said, because right now we are in the sowing season, the perishable season, the dishonorable season, weakness, natural body, dust. Now, if, any, if I were to ask any of us, hey, describe your life right now, would any of those verbs be the ones that you used? 
bro, I'm just dust. I'm just weak. I'm perishable. It's just my natural body that's going to fail. That's how I am. How are you? That wouldn't be the response that we give. But, But here is what Christ offers. Glorification is resurrected and perishable. Glory, power, spiritual, heaven. So would you rather have a seed or a fruit? Because even for me, as I've been studying this passage this week, this is not what I think about. I mean, when you think about, I don't know how many green thumbs we have in here, but when you think about, you get a seed, and what do you do with a seed? You literally put it in the ground. Like, that's all that a seed is good for, is to be put in the ground. And what Paul's trying to say for us is, we're nothing but seeds. We are here to die. We are here to go into the ground And what comes after that is the beautiful part. What comes after that is the blooms, the fruit is produced. That's what the beautiful part is. But we are so focused on the seed season, the perishable season, the weak season, that we are forgetting about the eternal glorification season where the fruit and life is actually produced because we're so focused on the here and now. And for us, and maybe this isn't you, and I'm not calling you this, Paul is calling you this, he calls us fools. We are foolish to be thinking this kind of a way. So just to tease this out a little bit, grab your Bibles and go to Ecclesiastes 12. We're going to have fun with this. Ecclesiastes 12. Because I know that the average age of this congregation is pretty young. So, So we're still in this building phase. We're in this growing phase. We're in this developmental phase. We haven't really thought much and deeply about death and the things that are going to come after. But for some of the older saints in this room, I need your help in this. I need you to give me some amens as we study real quickly Ecclesiastes 12 to show these young guns that that this time is coming, right? Ecclesiastes 12. So, So just to set this up as a framework, this is a poetry of character sketch, right? So this is a generalized and figurative description of old physical manifestations. One commentator says this is the most beautiful written poem ever about getting old. So there's a lot of words here and and phrases and imagery that I'm going to do my best to bring to 2021, all right? I'm going to do my best, but I'm not making any promises. So Ecclesiastes 12, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near in which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. So, so the, right out the gate, he's going, right now you're young, but there's going to come a day where you say, I have no more pleasure in this life. So young guns, listen, that day's coming and the rest of the poem is about this. Verse 2. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after rain. You know what I'm talking about? Before you can't see and you can't hear. So you get old before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened in the clouds. And verse 2 compares the troubles of the old age to a gathering storm. Both night and day are darkened by clouds and after the rain falls, the storm clouds gather again. This is what happens as people grow old. When we are young, there's still time for the sky to clear. But when we are old, we suffer from one trouble after another after another with no time to recover. Sound depressing yet? Let's keep going. 
Verse 3, in the days where the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and their grinders cease because they are few and those who look around the windows are dimmed and the doors of the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low. So, so let's just find some of the imagery in here. The keepers of the house, the person's arms start to tremble. The weakness starts to set in. The strong men, which are the legs, which are bent and aged. The grinders of the teeth, if there are any left. The windows are eyes dimmed by cataracts or general loss of vision. And the doors are the ears of the deaf or the hard of hearing, thus closed to the hustle and bustle of noisy streets. So what this, he's saying here, and I would say it's Solomon, but what he's saying here is, listen, your body is going to stop working. Your arms are going to tremble. Your legs are going to give up strength. You're not going to be able to see. You're not going to be able to hear. You're just tired. Your body is giving out. And my older saints said, amen. Thank you. Let's keep reading. End of verse 4. And one rises at the sound of the bird, and all the daughters of the songs are brought low. They are afraid of also what is high and terrors in the way. What this passage is getting at is old people just, older people have trouble sleeping. They're up with the sound of the songbirds. You want to see me get flicked off in the middle of church? You want to play a game? Is that all right? Hey, mom, what time did you get up this morning? Four o'clock? All right, that's what I'm talking about, right? Just can't sleep. Can't sleep. She's up before the sun. I mean, my mom literally, 3.30, 4 o'clock every morning, she's just up. Ecclesiastes 12, that's you. I love my mom. Y'all calm down. She's great. She's going to get me for that, though. The daughters of song is representative of the vocal cords. They just don't have the elastic strength anymore to make music. And they're also afraid the terrors are high. They're just afraid to go out because they can't defend themselves anymore. Now, I'm going to keep going, but I just need to remind us where we're going. This, this is all of us. This is our perishable body failing us. Let us not be fools. They're going to be young, strong, and this handsome forever, right? It's coming for all of us. The almond tree, the almond tree blossoms, excuse me, the almond tree blossoms. Do you know what that means? Almond tree blossoms, what does it blossom with? White leaves. Our hair is going to change colors, right? We're going to get white unless you buy bottled stuff. My boy Daniel Tipton told me last week, hey, bro, why is your beard looking so gray? I punched him. The grasshopper drags itself along. What do grasshoppers do? Bounce, 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 bounce. So the pep and the step that we have, hey, man, you want to go run? You want to go play games? There's going to come a day we're going to be dragging ourselves out of bed. And desire fails. You know what that means? Exactly what you think it means. There's going to be one day where ladies don't have to fake headaches or being tired anymore because the desire will fail. You single ones don't get that. You will. You will. Because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. To die is to go to our eternal home. The mourners are going to the streets, meaning they're already lining up for the funeral. That they're already showing up. You're not even dead yet, and they're already showing up to the funeral. Verse 6, before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered or the fountain at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. 
These are all memorable descriptions of death. I've, I've read a bunch of different commentaries on this. Some would say that the silver cord of snap is the spinal cord, and the golden bowl is broken would be your skull. The pitcher that is shattered is your body, regardless of the exact imagery. All of this is saying there's going to come a day where your body is broken beyond repair. It's, it's coming for us. In verse 7, which is the same language that Paul just used in 1 Corinthians 15, we see in Genesis 1, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and their spirit returns to God who gave it. So, this is our future. We can't hear, we can't see, we can't walk, we have no desire, we've lost the pep in our step, we're, we're not a grasshopper anymore. We're just dragging along. This is where we're going. This is our future. But in the same way, unless we understand what sin is, the gospel will never be sweet. Unless we understand how perishable our bodies are, we will never get excited about the future of what's to come through the glorification with Christ. So as our bodies are slowing, we will surely die. We will surely be put in the ground. Let me ask you this question based on Ecclesiastes 12. How much has this fact, did I depress everyone through there? I'll try to make that lighthearted. We'll see. How much did that fact of Ecclesiastes 12 factor into any decision you made over the last year? The fact that your body is perishable. Was that ever a consideration for any decision you made over the last year? Whether you're going to go to college or not, whether you're going to take this job or not, whether you're going to marry this person or not, whether you're going to have this kid or not, did any of this factor into the decisions that you've made over the last year that you have a perishable body, but one day we'll be in a perfect glorified body in the presence of Jesus forever? Did this fact of glorification ever come up in any of these decisions that we have made? It's something to ask. So let's keep going. Look at verse 50 for me. So we see the gospel is foundational for glorification. We've seen that we have to understand that we live in a perishable body. But look, let's look at verse 50, which we're going to see the joy of glorification is only found with Christ in heaven. Verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, not fools, brothers. This is the encouraging part. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we should all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the death will be raised and perishable, and we shall be changed." For the perishable body will put on the imperishable. For this mortal body must put on immortality. For the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is law. But thanks to be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying is, yes, our bodies are going to fail us, but remember, remember, one day the imperishable will, or perishable will turn into the imperishable, right? One day the mortality of man will turn into the immortality. One day death will have no more sting, will have no more curse. This is what we get to look forward to. This is what we get to celebrate, that one day all of it will be over. And I love just the way that Paul trash talks Satan and sin and death. 
Where is death going to be at this point? Where is the sting of death going to be? It's not going to be there at all. I mean, do y'all remember that? Uh, sorry, we're going to chase the rabbit trail real quick. Uh, the, uh, I think it was the car insurance commercial where the guy fisherman had the dollar bill and the girl tried to grab it. You got to be quicker than that. Y'all remember that? I mean, this is what Paul is saying. Like, hey, Satan, you got to be quicker than that because once we get the, the immoral, immorality out of us, once we get into eternity forever, death can't touch us. That's why I love when we go to funerals of believers, because it's not a goodbye, it's, hey, bro, I'll see you soon. I'll be there soon. We'll be together soon. Now, I just, let me lay this before you. The theology that you hear within country songs, 90% of it is just complete trash, okay? I love country music. I love to get my redneck on, but don't get your theology from country music, right? But, but when I think about this passage, when I think about the implications of this, I, my mind always goes back to uh, my boy Brad Paisley and my girl Dolly Parton. Y'all know what song I'm talking about? When I get where I'm going, there's a line in this song where he says, I'm going to meet with my granddaddy, and he's going to match me step for step. And, and for me, every time I think of that line, I think about my grandpa's. And I think about how, man, like the last season of their life, I was having to help them. I was having to hold them. I was having to grab an arm. These were strong, manly men that at the end of their life, Ecclesiastes told us their legs were giving out. They couldn't hear. My grandpa would constantly do this thing where he would laugh with the jokes, and then he would turn and go, hey, what did he say? It's like, well, by the time I explain it, it's not funny anymore, Grandpa. But he would just chuck along and just be Papa. It was hilarious. But there's going to come a day soon where he's going to hear everything, He's going to see everything. He's going to match me step for step. There's going to be no sin, no ailment, no death, no disease, no heart attack, no nothing. But we're so concerned about what's the here and now that we constantly are forgetting about what's to come. Now, what does this glorified state look like? So we've talked about the death, the immortality of it all, that one day we will die. Our bodies are failing us, and some of us are starting to feel it. Right? I mean, as I'm getting into my mid-30s, there's been mornings when I've woken up and going, ouch. What happened? I slept. I don't know. My back hurts because I slept. I can't sleep over than eight hours because I'm sore. Did you get sore from the gym, bro? No, I slept nine hours. That's what happened. So what does this glorified state look like? Th- there's a lot of things I could say, but I'm just going to read J.I. Packer. If you've never read anything from J.I. Packer, I highly recommend it. In his book, Concise Theology, he brings out seven ideas of what the glorified state includes. So I just want to draw our attention to them. First, perfect knowledge of grace through limitless extensions of our powers and understandings. So what does a glorified state look like? Perfect knowledge of grace. And he gets idea, this idea from 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I should know fully, even as I have been fully known. So there's going to come a day where we're going to understand fully all the workings of grace that God has had in our lives. Packer goes on to say, number two, perfect enjoyment of seeing and being with the Father and the Son. That we're going to be in the presence of God the Father, God the Son, forever. Forever. We all think we have these questions, and I do too. When we get to heaven, I'm going to ask God this. I'm going to, I just don't think that any of that's going to matter. When we fully get into the perfect presence of God, none of that's going to matter. Number three, perfect worship and service of God out of a perfectly integrated nature and heart set perfectly free for love and obedience. Our hearts are only going to be set for love and obedience. 
If y'all catch that, our hearts are only going to be set for love and obedience. There's no going to be harming of one another. Everything that happens is only going to be done out of love and obedience. Perfect deliverance. I love this one, if I can just be honest. Perfect deliverance from all that is experienced as sinful, evil, weakening, and frustrating. Did y'all catch that? So when we get into our glorified state in eternity forever, we're going to have perfect deliverance from all that is evil, sinful, weakening, and frustrating. So think about right now, what are you frustrated with? You're not going to be frustrated then. What is holding you back now? It's not going to hold you back then. What is evil within you, this sin that you just cannot break? It's not going to hold you back then. I mean, just think about how freeing that is for us, that all of that stuff is going to be gone. Number five, perfect fulfillment of all desires of which we are conscious. Perfect fulfillment of all desires of which we are conscious. Number six, perfect completion of all that was good and valuable in this world's life, but that had to be left incomplete because desire outran capacity. And lastly, endless personal growth, and the encompassing of all these perfect things. Now, in Packer's explanation, did you notice the word that he said over and over and over and over and over again? Perfect. When we get to eternity in this glorified state, it's going to be perfect. Every bit of it. Every bit of it. Perfect. Lacking nothing. And not for a short term either. We, we've all had these utopian ideas. We've had this best vacation ever. We've had this best week ever. But it was short-lived. This is going to be perfect forever. So can I ask you a question that I've been asking myself this week as I've been reading and preparing this text? Why do I put so much worry and stress on the things to be perfect in this world and so little work on getting ready for eternity, which will be perfect? Why am I putting so much work, stress, energy, focus to be perfect in this world and so much little energy on what's going to be mattering forever and eternity? Now, does that mean that we shouldn't work hard here? No, that's not what I'm saying. But we shouldn't stress about it. We shouldn't, it shouldn't evoke fear in us. Anxiety should not be riddled in us because we're so conscious about being perfect here. We should be moving towards the future. But I want to end with verse 50. I want to end with verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So here's what this means. I said this earlier. There's two options here. Glorification, damnation. So, so it's fun, it was fun for me this week to read, pray, consider the joy that eternity forever is going to be in our glorified state. That I'm going to have six packs, I might even have 12 packs. I'm going to be able to be fast, I'm going to be able to eat and not get fat. It's just going to be beautiful, right? I'm going to beat Teddy Tardoni in a workout. That might happen. If you don't know Teddy already, look over there. He's a beast, and I'm going to beat him in heaven. Just kidding, that's never going to happen. That, there's never going to happen. He hate, That's twice. Twice. Last week and this week I called you out. It's, it's fun for me to dream about that, about fishing with my grandpa and living in perfect community with you guys. But we have to be conscious that there are those around us 
that that's not their consideration, that that's not their future, that right now they're not dreaming, thinking about glorification, but they're on their way to eternal damnation. This is what this passage is saying, that flesh and blood cannot get you there. Your good works cannot get you there. Your effort cannot get you there. Your desire cannot get you there. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ. So what about them? What about those that sit next to us at work? Those that are in the same class as us? Those that are in the same family as us? What do we do about them? And we we talk about this, and if you've been around, you've heard me say this before, because there's this notion here. When we talk about what about them, what do we do? We share the gospel. We use this as an opportunity to tell them, well, well, I don't really talk about things like that. And, And my pushback has always been, you don't talk about things that you enjoy. You don't talk about things that bring you happiness. You don't talk about things that bring you joy. I mean, case in point. My man, Jace Roper, walked in this morning, and what is he talking about? Well, he just got married in Alaska. His wedding was awesome, way better than any of our weddings are ever going to be. Makes my little First Baptist wedding look like, I don't even want to say what it looks like. It looks like nothing compared to the pictures that have came out of Jace Roper. And he's grinning ear to ear right now. Why? Because he talks about what he enjoys. We all recruit. We want people to do what we enjoy. So, okay, here's the case of point. I'll get rid of Jace. I'll talk about me. September 11th, I'm running my first 5K. Anybody want to come? Connectability, 5K, September 11th. Let's run. Let's do this together. You want to come with me? And then after that, I'm going to go eat because I can after 5K. And then I'm going to get my boat, and I'm going to go down, and I'm going to kill some deer. If you don't like that, go to another church. That's going to be my day, September 11th. And then I'm going to come here September 12th, and I'm going to preach. Wait, where's... Am I, am I doing Dylan and Lexi's wedding on the 12th? When's their wedding? It's the next weekend. Then I'm going to come here and preach. And it's going to be the best weekend ever. It's going to be great. And I want you to do all of those things with me, except for deer hunting, because if I miss, I don't want you to see that. I want you to come over and enjoy my, I want you to meet my wife. I want you to hang out with my kids. I want you to enjoy our home with us. Look, we all do this naturally. We talk about the things that we love. So we have to get over our perishable bodies and focus on the imperishable. We have to get over the mortality of our bodies and get to the immortal part. And we have to bring people with us. We have to talk about it because their path is only eternal damnation. We, we used to talk about this a lot. Within a 20-minute drive of right here, 20-minute drive of right here, the best numbers that we can come up with, 26,000 people, guys, 26,000 people that their only trajectory in life is eternal damnation. So we can sit here and rejoice and celebrate as well we should about the eternal glorification of our bodies, but that has to be the back of our mind. What about them? What about the 26,000 of them that their only track is eternal damnation? As a church, in 2020, we only baptized three people. Do y'all realize that? Three people. Well, pastor, that was in COVID. No, don't give me that crap. It's not acceptable. Three people. Do you know how many we baptized in 2021? Zero. Because if we're not careful, we're on our way to be the churches that God writes to through John in the book of Revelation. We've gotten too busy doing all this other stuff. We've forgotten our first love, which is Dahlonega, 
which is the people here. And over the last really month, month and a half, my heart has become so burdened because we, we really have three different demographics, and I hope over the next couple months to release more of some, maybe some strategies that we can implement. But we really have three groups of people. We have the college campus. We have the, the transplants like us that have moved up to Dahlonega, the retirees that have moved to Dahlonega. And then we have the locals, those that have been born here, raised here, grown here. This, this is the, the most simplistic form, the three groups of people that are here within a 20-minute drive of us right now. And church, we've got to reach all of them. And there's going to be some of you that are going to have uh, more easier and accessible to reach those on the college campus. There's going to be some of us that are going to be more able to reach those that are transplanted, that have moved in. There's going to be some of us that are going to be more able to reach the locals that have been here for generations after generations. But we have to reach them. We have to share this message with them, that your body is going to fail you. And if this is it, if this is all that this life has to offer, then then what are we doing here? But can I tell you the good news of the gospel, that through the blood of Jesus Christ, this is just a temporary weak season. But when we get put in the ground, here's what's going to happen. We're going to put on new flesh. We're going to put on new body, imperishable body. We're going to walk the streets with God forever. It's going to last forever. So so what is going to happen with your life when this body fails? You only have two options, glorification, eternity with God forever, or damnation apart from God in the misery of hell forever. That's it. That's the two options that we have. So we have to. We have to. So what then do we do? How do we even start the process of having these conversations? Well, first and foremost, pray. Pray like crazy. Pray that God would give you two, three, four people that will just not leave your mind, will not leave your heart, that you have to share the gospel with them, that you have to have the conversation with them, and that God would be doing stuff to disrupt their lives so this conversation would be easier. I mean, I'll just, to hold me accountable, Brian, I've been talking about, there's this one person that's in our lives, and, and it's happening. Over the last two, three months, this burden in me has just been growing and growing for this person, and there's been some things in their life going on that are, they're starting to ask really, really good questions. So would you pray for me that I'd have the boldness when that opportunity comes up that I would easily share the gospel with them? The possessions do not make you happy in the long term, and they've seen this. That this short, temporary life is not going to bring eternal satisfaction. Only Christ can do that. So first, pray. Second, be hospitable. Be hospitable. And, and let me just say this. We have some of the most hospitable people in this church. I love how much y'all open up your homes, how much you open up your lives, how much you open up your hearts. Keep doing it. I don't have to lecture on this point because, man, y'all do this so well. Share the gospel with them. And lastly, and depending on statistics you read, between 70 and 82% of people will come to this gathering if you just invite them. 70 to 82% will come here if you just invite them. They'll come to your family groups if you just invite them. They just want to be wanted. They want to know that they can be a part of this. And as C.S. Lewis calls it, the Holy Ghost talents are already pursuing them. They're already running after them. So just bring them into the family of God. So as, as we end our time together, here's just a couple questions. For the believer that's been walking with Jesus for a long time, where have we taken our eyes off the prize? What situation, what scenario, what has led you to focus more on the short term than the long term? 
more on the perishable than the imperishable. Maybe it's a work situation. Maybe it's some family drama going on. Maybe it's just the busyness of the season of life. But what has led us from taking our eyes off the prize and focusing on the weak, the dust, the season that will end? What has done that for us? So maybe more the new believer. My question is this, do you believe it? And and Paul in Romans says it this way, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Do we believe that? That the suffering of this time is not worth comparing to the eternal glorification state? Is that something that we believe, that we treasure? What is the Lord asking you to release this morning? For both of those, for the seasoned believer and the new believer, a question for both of you is, who is the Lord putting on your heart to share this good news with? Who is the Lord telling you, prompting you, this is the person, this is the family that I want you to share the message of the gospel with? And if you don't have one, ask the Spirit for one. I guarantee He will give it to you. And lastly, for the non-believer, here's my call to you. There's two trails. One to eternal glorification, one to eternal damnation. If the Lord right now is just speaking to you, drawing you to himself, do not delay. When this is over, the elders will be in the back. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk to you. But do not delay because we don't know what this world offers for us. This is not fear-mongering. This is Ecclesiastes 12. Your body is going to fail you. Sooner or later, your body is going to fail. So do not delay putting your hope and trust in Jesus Christ. Repent and believe. So church, let us this morning all look forward to our glorified, perfected bodies and community with each other and living in the presence of Jesus forever. A place where there will be no more hurt, no more sin, no more pain, no more turmoil, or no more death. Can we not get fired up about that? Let's pray. Father, as we read this morning, the first thing we have to do is repent. Jesus, you've warned us throughout your scriptures, through your word, that we should not focus on the temporary, but we should focus on the eternal. We should not focus on uh, the here now, the perishable, but focus on the imperishable. We should not focus on the mortality, but we should focus on the immortality. That, that there will be a day where this lasts forever. And Father, would we repent? Jesus, would we repent from taking our eyes off eternity and putting them on ourselves? And God, I I just pray for me, I pray for us as a congregation that you would just get us fired up about what eternity would look like with you forever. No more sin, no more pain, no more death. Perfect perfection with you forever. And God, from that overflow, from that excitement, from that desire, would, would it be something that we have to share with our friends, that we have to share with our family, that the 26,000 within a 20-minute drive, whether it be college students, whether it be transplants, or whether it be locals, Father, would, would it be obsessed with them hearing the good news of the gospel? That you made him who knew no sin, King Jesus, to be sin for us so that we might believe. that we could have eternal life. 
So God, this week, would you give us opportunities to share that good news? Would we repent this morning from our sin? Would we repent from focusing on our own hearts, our own lives, and would we focus solely on you? It's in your name that we pray. Amen.